I invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the fourth psalm. We'll do just a couple more weeks in the, in the psalms this week, and next week we'll skip over and look at Psalm 6, because I think it has a particular message for us in times uh, both of specific and general sickness. We'll look at Psalm 6. This week we're in Psalm 4. Remember, as we read the Scriptures, we do so as an act of worship. Let's set our hearts together to meditate on these words as we read God's inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Psalm chapter 4. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Lord our God, as we read uh, these simple words written by uh, a man who got his start as a shepherd, the youngest child in a fairly large family, you used him to write profound words to give expression to the Christian heart. As we read these words, we find all of our own thoughts and feelings, anxieties, worries, fears, prayers expressed. Help us to use them properly, Father, to bring ourselves to You, to find expression for the things that we have struggled giving words to. I pray especially... um, Lord, for those this morning who are struggling with any type of worry, any type of anxiety, um, I ask that you would help them, Father, to know your heart for them. To to know that they have a place where they can come and and present those things and and be honest about them. And, And I ask for those who come in, in fear and in, in turmoil and any type of trepidation and, and trembling and, and lay those things at your feet. Father, I ask you to be faithful to them, to meet them there and to give them comfort. Day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, as we come faithfully seeking your favor. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
As we read uh, this psalm, we find that there's the continuation of a theme that we've noticed in, in, in one and two and three so far. And there is, if you notice, there's a comparison and a contrast between the righteous man and the wicked man. In Psalm chapter 1, we, we meditated and reflected on the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. They're two different paths. There are times in life when it looks like the wicked and the righteous are walking on the same path. But at the end of the day, they will be distinguished. In Psalm chapter 2, we reflected on the judgment of the wicked. That Christ, as we prayed a moment ago, who's appearing, we look for with hope. Christ will appear with a rod of iron in His hand, meant for the backs of the wicked. Psalm 2 presents this to us. Psalm 3, we remember that, that David there was fleeing from his son, his own son, who was seeking to put him to death, who was seeking to usurp his throne. And as we think about these psalms, it, it requires that we ask a question of ourselves. How do righteous men respond in rough times? One of the uh, many years ago, 2008, 2009, I, I think I've shared this story with you before. Um, federal regulators uh, walked into the bank where I was working and announced to all of the employees that we no longer worked for Colonial Bank. We worked for the federal government, at least for a period of time, and then for BB&T. Um, the bank I worked for went from, in my city, 1,000 employees to 50. And that whole week after that announcement was made, we all went on LinkedIn and we were updating our profiles. In my case, starting one. Because we had read in the newspaper that some other employees who had faced a similar circumstance were put on the street with no severance. And I guess about Thursday, if I'm generous, probably Friday, I began to be convicted. Because I saw in my own life that I was managing this time of anxiety just like my unsaved friends were. I really couldn't say that I looked any different from them. These psalms, speaking to you as my friends are teaching you to take your worries and your concerns as righteous people to the source of your righteousness. God has ordained these times for you to bring you to Himself. He has ordained for you times for you to get down on your knees to shed real tears, real sweat, and express to Him how angry you are. Why did my loved one die? Aren't you good? Aren't you going to provide for my family? You see, the wicked man, he goes out into the field and he kicks rocks. He pounds sand. But what we see is a righteous man in his despair, goes to the Lord. 
What are we supposed to do when our circumstances look bleak? When we feel hopeless, alienated, alone, now on the outside of the friend group that you once were in. When you're sleepless, do you notice that at the end of the psalm, David again mentions sleep? Some say, well, I come to church. (laughs) When you're anxious, the psalmist reminds you to turn to Christ. He reminds you that you must actively put your thoughts and meditations upon Him. Sometimes we remember here as we think about these words that the greatest battle that we will ever have is the battle that we have with ourselves. When we read this psalm, notice that uh, in the third psalm we had the definite context in the very beginning. This was written, or it was written when he fled from his son Absalom. David was facing expulsion from his throne, the throne that God had given him. Um, persecution from his own family. Here we don't know. All we know that this was written to be sung. This was sung or written for the choirs of Israel to lift up their voices as one man knowing that they all have a shared experience. Is he perhaps in exile here? Maybe Psalm 3 is when he was running Psalm 4 is when he is out in the field um, in exile from his throne, running from Absalom, or maybe before that, when he was running from Saul. We don't know. But regardless of when it was, we look to this psalm, and every single one in this room can read these words and say, I identify with that. So in a sense, the Lord has given you words to sing together and to pray to Him. I want you to notice just as we get started that the middle of this psalm comes in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. And the middle words, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. I'm going to suggest to you That you have a psalm here that you can contemplate, that you can think about, words that you should set your heart upon. First of all, I want to remind you that you ought to take time to think. Think about what, preacher? The Christian, you, need to think about Christ. You need to think about Christ. David thinks about Christ in three ways as he's seeking the Lord in verse two, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David thought about three things with reference to the Lord. He is thinking about his righteousness. Notice, first of all, as he's praying, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David acknowledged that Christ is the supreme judge of all men. He is the one to whom David must call when he is in despair. He expressed his trust in the Lord. 
But first and foremost, he says that God is the God of his righteousness. You notice that? It's almost as though David was a New Testament Christian, isn't it? No, not at all. We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ, a righteousness which comes from God, was expressed even as God was dealing with Abraham. When Abraham in Genesis 15 trusted the Lord, in that moment, God declared Abraham righteous. Not on the basis of his works, not on the basis of his obedience, but because he trusts the Lord, there was an exchange of trust for righteousness. David is thrusting himself upon the Lord, contemplating the fact that his righteousness, all of his righteousness, came from Christ. Do you do that? How often do you remind yourself that all your righteousness comes from Christ? Martin Luther reflected that Christians, he preached the gospel to himself every day. Do you do that? Do you get up in the morning Remembering that you get up, if you are in Christ, you get up and you close the day in right standing with God because of Christ. You must remember it. But there's a second thing that David reflected upon and that you and I must contemplate as we contemplate Christ. You have given me relief when I was in distress. As David is facing this moment of pressure in his own life, this moment of anxiety, this moment of worry, David doesn't just look at the circumstance in the present. David looked at the past. He thought about all of the ways that God had delivered him. That You think about, maybe he remembered that day when, uh, when Samuel came to his door. And there was David out in the field, the youngest of the boys, neglected by his family, the littlest of them, and Samuel called for him. Maybe he remembered how God had delivered him from Goliath or from Saul. Maybe he thought about all of them. Maybe he thought about that night when down on his knees before the Lord, he said, God had declared to him, you are my son." And your sons will be my sons. David probably thought about all of it. How often do you do that? When is the last time you asked someone else to share their testimony with you of how they came to know the Lord? How many opportunities did you have to do that when you walked through those doors? How many of these brothers and sisters in this room, how many of them... Uh, How many stories do you know that you can recount, that you can give thanks for before the Lord? You're called to do that. David reflected on his righteousness, his relief, and his mercy. Lastly, he said, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David knew that as he knelt there or perhaps prostrated himself before the Lord on his face with his nostrils to the ground, that he had no reason to expect God would even hear his words apart from God's mercy. 
God blesses you with all of those things that you reflect upon in your past. God has given those things to you because He loves His mercy. And therefore, you can look to the future saying, I know He will answer my prayer because He has answered my prayer and because He loves mercy. In hours of adversity, listen to me. You must be careful to keep your mind on Christ. This is something that you must do under the work and influence of the Holy Spirit. You must be careful to keep your mind on Christ. How many fears, how many worries right now are vying for your attention? Where would your heart go if you let it? Meditations easily stray to that which causes us stress. Last week we thought about when we lay down in the bed and finally, finally, there's a moment of quiet when your husband is not constantly calling your name or your wife or your children or your email. (laughs) And then your back starts to talk to you. It is so easy for our minds to go to the stressors of life. So you must actively set your mind on Christ. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you spent meaningful time remembering how God has blessed you? Maybe you keep a journal and you write those things down, and you, you keep a catalog of all the prayers that God has answered for you. When is the last time that you spent meaningful time remembering how God has blessed you? Remembering how God has delivered you? Think about this. Think about how carefully you remember and recount all of the ways that people hurt you. If I asked you right now to think of a time that somebody had offended you or hurt you, you could probably remember the day and the moment and exactly what happened. What if you carefully remembered how God answered your prayers? And what if you made it your intent to do that more carefully? When is the last time that you sat down and sought to think about Christ? to meditate on His attributes. To say, today I want to think about how Christ is my prophet or my priest or my king. I want to think about what it meant that He is incarnate, that He is the eternal Son of God. Is there an end to what you could think about Him? In Christ there are measureless meditations to give you comfort. And we neglect them. The Christian must contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this contemplation is intended to give you courage. We notice that as David is is contemplating the Lord, calling upon Him, reflecting on who He is, it gave him courage. 
He turns now, his attention goes, you can picture it, his attention goes from the Lord, and now his gaze turns and he looks at the mass of humanity. This opening word here, he had courage to address the ways of the wicked. Verse 3, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David, as he's contemplating the Lord, now is, is emboldened. He finds courage now. He, he finds himself a, a man who's got new bravery. And so he turns in and he addresses mankind. The literal translation of the Hebrew here is not uh, just men, but sons of men. Oh, sons of men. You hear, the, you hear the crescendo of the choir starting to rise now as they start to sing, Oh, sons of men. How long will you turn my glory into shame or my honor? The word here, the Hebrew term is glory. Glory into shame. And we remember, perhaps as David is thinking about the men who are persecuting the men, him, the men who troubled him, he's thinking about how they turn his glory into shame. He remembered setting his mind that men love self-exaltation. Honor is the term glory. Mankind exchanges the psalmist's honor for shame. Shame is that sense of that, that naughty word today. You shouldn't cause anybody to feel ashamed. Shame is dishonor. It is reproach or confusion. It is, in the Scripture, shame is associated with sin. And shame, that shame of sin, causes me to hide my face from the Lord. You see, to turn aside from Him. I can't look at you and you can't look at me because of the, 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 the shame of sin. It robs us of confidence David said that men have a habit of turning glory into shame. Just a thought here. You remember that, that your purpose and my purpose, when God set us down in our father Adam in the Garden of Eden, was three things, three simple instructions. Get married, raise a family, and work hard. And observe my Sabbath. Get married and raise a family. Observe my Sabbath. Remember that your whole purpose is worship. And work hard. Instead, we turn that glory into shame. Rather, rather than delight in work, think of this, in hard work, we plan leisure. Our whole plans, we think about the weekend. Wednesday is hump day. I'm almost at the leisure point. And that's my goal. I work hard so that I can play hard. God has created men for hard work rather than pursue marriage. And families, we long for careers and material success. We measure who we are by looking back and saying, look what I have done. My 401k rather than set our hearts on worship, especially on the Lord's Sabbath. 
we set our hearts on pursuing our own pleasures, forsaking God's blessings. In these things, we exchange honor for shame. David went on, notice again verse 2, that men love vain words. These are empty words. We love what is empty. In Isaiah 55, the prophet chastised the people. He said, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, he wrote, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. How many times do we think about, plan for, uh, to do things that are ultimately meaningless and empty? We love vain words. We, we love people to speak empty words over us. We want people to think well of us. This is the habit of mankind. Lastly, there men seek falsehood. Verse 2. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? We, instead of taking our time to pursue what is true, wondering what is true, comparing what we hear to the Word of God, being people of the truth, we love lies. Especially when they're spoken of us. David had courage after pondering Christ. He had courage to speak to mankind. But he also had courage in verse 3 to announce the Lord's ways. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. He reminds us that, listen, there are times in life when it seems like God is favoring the wicked. It seems like the wicked are prospering. Those who gain by deceit, those are the ones who are getting ahead. Some of you have been in a position where you're uh, pursuing a promotion, and it seems like the guy who does the dishonest stuff, he doesn't report all of his sales, um, he takes false sales, or he takes credit for someone else's sales, that's the guy who gets ahead. And you're looking at it up and you're saying, Lord, Aren't you sovereign? How do you let somebody like that get ahead? And David takes the time to remember that God loves the godly. He hasn't forgotten the godly. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't planned evil things for you. He loves the godly. He has set you apart for himself. But also, here's a promise that you have as his child. The Lord hears when I call to Him. You think about your own father. Maybe, like me, you grew up in a neighborhood where you played with all the other kids and whatever sport was in season, that's what you did. Baseball and football and basketball and even tennis with a wiffle ball. But if any of those kids called to your father and you called, who would your father answer? You. He hears your voice. He knows your voice. As David is sinking down there in his despair, he remembers that God heard his prayers. Another source of courage we see in verses 4 and 5. B 
Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. David had courage to counsel repentance. Do not sin in your anger, he says. Christian, when you become angry and there is a reason, there are right and righteous reasons to become angry, David reminds us, do not sin in your anger. You'll remember that Paul picked up on these words in Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. You counsel children. Look, it's okay to be angry. Anger is an energy. It's an energy that you will use either to destroy the person that you're angry with, it's an energy that you will use to destroy yourself, or it's an energy that you will use to destroy the problem. Use your energy righteously. Use your anger to destroy the problem. Be angry and do not sin. And then secondly, as he's counseling repentance, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Here's David's counsel to you. You must put your trust in the Lord. You must think about, meditate upon all of His goodness and set your confidence there. So the harsher, listen, the harsher the adversity, this psalm is teaching us, the harsher the adversity, the louder the church must speak. It is our place to speak to the wicked, to counsel repentance, We must have courage to do that. We cannot be reserved in our declaration of sin. In our declaration of what is righteous. That the Lord loves the righteous. That He has set apart the righteous man to Himself. And the need for repentance. We must be bold in our declaration that our hope is in the Lord. Finally, thirdly, The contemplation of Christ is not only what we must think about, not only what gives us courage, the contemplation of Christ is our hope. It is the source of hope and gladness and security. Notice in verses 6-8, through there are many who say, who will show us some good? Are you thinking that these days? As you read the Drudge Report, you scroll down, You're thinking, all of this is bad. Who will show us some good? You look at your 401k and you're a few dollars uh, shorter this week than you were last week. Who will show us any good? Here is David's instruction. Calling upon the Lord. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Christ and Christ alone is the hope of the hopeless. We've had many, many um, occasions lately to wonder what the Supreme Court was going to find. 
how this particular case is going to be decided and how that's going to affect our lives. And we hope for good news. Or you submit your exam and you cross your fingers and you hope for good news. You ask a girl to prom and you hope for good news. But there is only one hope for the hopeless. The Lord Jesus Christ. David reminds us that all of those other hopes are vain and empty. What is the source of gladness? If you want gladness today, if your heart is hurting, you are aching, where do you go for gladness? Christ. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Think of this. There was one time every year when the whole community got together and they rejoiced and they were merry. Their hearts were made, made merry with wine. We'll see in Esther chapter 1 tonight. And David is saying, if you want a greater merriment, if you want a greater joy than those things which come and go in a moment, the Lord is there. He has all resources in His hands. Do you understand that? The loved one that you're concerned about whose healing you want, the reconciliation in a relationship that you desire, all of that is within His power. Do you know that? There is no joy, no gladness that God does not have the power to give you. But you don't ask Him for it. And keep on asking. You ask one time or two times and then you quit. He is... The security of the secure, we read in verse 8. Look at this, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Do you see all of that? There is one who can give you joy, one who can give you gladness, and one who can give you every security that you desire. Every single one. Do you ask Him for it? He loves to answer your prayers. He wants to answer your prayers. If there is any weakness, any hurt that He has exposed in your life, He has exposed it to bring you to Himself. He wants to show you that He is the source of joy, that He is the source of gladness and every security. The contemplation of Christ, the meaningful purposeful meditation upon Christ is what we must do. It is the source of our courage and it is the source of our hope and gladness and security. Our, our faithful confession is that Christ alone grants true peace. He alone is the hope of the hopeless 
He alone is the gladness of the glad and the security of the secure. And so the counsel to you is this. As you find yourself despairing over whatever it is, turn to Christ. Cry aloud to Him. Meditate on all His benefits. Command your soul to hope in Him alone. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, one thing that we think about as we think about these words that that David's written is that we don't deserve them. You are offering these promises of rest, of redemption, of an ear that hears, to a people who every day, in thought, word, and in deed, rebel against you. Father, many of us plan sin. We delight in sin. And yet you you hold out these promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ to to, to give us real gladness. Not, Not just a gladness that fades. To give us real joy. Real security that no one can take away. And instead of planning time with you, we plan leisure. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that we would delight ourselves in you. I ask, Father, that you would give us real gladness, real joy, a joy that is more than than seeing the, the fruits of our labor and bringing home bags full of groceries or a growing retirement account or a savings account or the car that we've been saving up for, more than those joys or seeing our children graduate from college or high school. Um, that, that more than that, we would find joy in you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.